us today. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. <laughs> I want to tackle a, a very uh, important topic. We think of the creative industries, and, and statistically, I mean, it's not a it's not a wrong uh, idea either. But as, as being these very small uh, local organizations, you know, just a few you know, handful of employees. But there are also, you know, large organizations, uh, multinational corporations that that operate in in the creative industries. And as you, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, creative industries uh, students are doing their uh, internship in very large companies as well. So, what are the implications for uh, HR? How do you come up with uh, human resources strategies in you know in a global company? So that's that's why I wanted to. Uh, to chat with you today. Yeah, of course. So um, it's a it's a good question, and uh, to be quite honest, it's it's sort of an ever evolving adjustment. The way we're set up in HR uh, to sort of manage within the global organization is that there's uh, an HR director in each of our locations, uh, and then there's a chief talent officer who's uh, oversees all of us. Uh, so she also happens to be in Montreal, right? So I guess it's, it's a little bit easier for you. She, for me personally, absolutely. She's based in Montreal. And to be honest, a lot of our global leaders happen to be based in Montreal. I guess it's a Montreal, you know, originally a Montreal right. based, originated company. So we are the largest sector of the, or the largest location. And a lot of our global roles are based out of Montreal. But I, for example, have a very local role. I'm just responsible for Montreal. So, so would you say that in a way this, this affects the, you know, the strategies that, that pertain to talent that are then being applied or suggested uh, to, to the other kind of units around the world? Yeah. I, I, what I would say is the, the ongoing challenge. And, and I think this is somewhat of a challenge where, you know, in any global organization, but it's trying to to figure out what should be done with a, a, a local flavor and what should be done, you know, what should be aligned globally and, and implemented globally, uh, you know, across the board. And I think it's, that's always sort of the, the debate. I think, especially maybe in a creative agency, there's a huge drive to have a local flavor on it, on many things because the creative aspect of things, you know, the, there's this, idea or perception that everyone is so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, there's a, a pull really to add sort of a local flavor onto anything. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a specific example. Um, let's say our employee engagement surveys, um, uh, would they be done globally? Like, a, and, or would they have, would each location choose if or not, if they want to have a survey or not? and how they would go about doing their survey. Right. So, and perhaps I, just, just adding a few questions here and there that are, again, specific to a, a given location. Exactly. And I think what ends up often happening is we start off with the mindset of, oh, it has to be local, you know, because everyone's realities are so different. And I think what ends up often or ideally happening is that you sort of then move toward, well, let's align globally on some guiding principles and then we can sort of localize it with a bit of a flavor. Right. So, so, you know, is there ever, you know, instances in, and I'm thinking, you know, you, you either in your experience at Sidley, but also you've, you've worked in other uh, multinational national corporations before 
uh, Bombardier Aerospace and Nestle at well Nespresso at Nestle. So are there ever instances where you can, you know, kind of run into some sort of resistance because it comes from HQ or, or it comes from another, another location and it's meant to be implemented in your, again, in your kind of local branch or, you know, complete kind of rejection of, of these policies because they, you know, we, in, in, in innovation management, we talk a lot about the not invented here syndrome or this kind of this um, uh, suspicion towards things that come from, from elsewhere. Yes. So the, to the answer that question, definitely, we definitely see that. And to be fair, I've seen that everywhere I've worked. Um, right. My perception is that wherever the sort of headquarter is tends to make maybe other locations feel less than or, or heard less rather, you know, or that's been tailored globally, but not taking it into, into consideration enough other realities. So I think that's a common I, I certainly, we certainly face that at Sidley, but we've faced that, I've, I've faced that elsewhere in any any organization I've worked in. I think that's a common feeling of not being heard. I think that is sort of one solution or, or way to, to mitigate that is really to work more globally and to sort of have people from each location involved in uh, defining global mandates. I mean, that's one approach. Right. The other approach is to just define something globally and allow for local sort of variations, which works too. You just then need to be very solid on what what you are allowed to adapt and what has to be standard. Right. Because you still want to have, um, you know, I guess a, a consistent organizational culture. You still you're hoping for you know, your values or, or mission statement to resonate across the different locations and, and that people can identify with. And that's, that's, a, that's obviously a challenge. And I guess you're also hoping for, you know, a, a consistent, I would say employee experience, right? Say an employee would happen, you know, for different reasons to be moving to another location, wouldn't be completely lost by, you know, what it's like to be in the workplace. No, and we definitely want that. And so, for example, another or another example I could give is um, employee integration. You know, because we're, we're we're quite large in Montreal, we have a lot of ins and outs. You know, new hires coming in, and um, you know, we have a, a quite a robust implemented uh, integration for new employees. And in it does exist elsewhere as well. It's not to say that they don't, but in an office that only has, you know, 25 people, it might be different than in an office that that might have 400 people. They just the whole notion of integration is different. Right. So it's hard to exactly, we would like to have a goal, though, that no matter where you're integrating across Sidley, there's certain things that that you take, you know, you that are takeaways for you that regardless of where you're integrating, stand out. Right. So I want to go come back to, uh, you know, you, you did your undergrad in business. You then went to do uh, study HR in grad school. And then you went to, in the workforce and you worked at Bombardier and uh, Nespresso and Nestle. So what's the difference between these, you know, I want to say, more traditional? And again, this this is not being dismissive of the creativity that happens within these organizations and, and a company whose core business like Sidley is to, uh, is creativity. What's the difference from an HR, an HR standpoint? It, well, it's a, such a good question because, you know, people often will ask me, you know, I'm looking to switch jobs and I, there's this opportunity that came up. What do you think of it? 
And, you know, often they're discussing the job, the specific role. And I think just myself, as someone who's always worked in HR, but has moved from, you know, a large manufacturing uh, company, Bombardier, to what they call like um, uh, to Nespresso, which is considered a retail company, uh, affordable luxury, actually. Right. And um, to Nespresso, which is really, uh, to Sidley, sorry, which is the, you know, the creative industry. It's like that for sure plays into the, the decision-making for me and what I would encourage others to look at, like to look beyond the role, but to also look at, and this I've learned from having worked in different, to look at what the industry is and the pros and cons or the differences in those industries, to look at the size of the organization, uh, small, medium, large, that plays a huge role, I think, in, in what your actual job will entail and how your job will play out. So those are two things that I find sometimes people don't consider, which actually are like the the actual crux of what makes a job beyond the role. Right. And, and so just, you know, considering that we're uh, talking, you know, we're doing this interview for, um, you know, students who are about to graduate and perhaps have some interest in, in HR. I, I sure, I sure hope so. Anyways, <laughs> would you, would you, you know, looking back, is this, um, you, you know, would you start uh, within a large organization, a global organization, and then eventually go into a smaller environment? Cause you know, it kind of gives you the, the fundamentals and you get to see HR on a much bigger scale or perhaps is, would, would the other, uh, would the other way, uh, you know, starting small and then going big yeah. uh, be a better route in your opinion? It's, you know, I think about that a lot because I, so I did it the way of starting big and I've been moving smaller. I think the, I, I think I can, I don't know what's better, but I can certainly give the advantages and disadvantages of each. So starting big, what happens is, is when you, you start, if you start in a more junior role in a large organization, chances are it's quite, it's quite structured. Um, and because it's big, uh, the role is, is very um, specific. You know, you're, you're the doing, you have your, your skills, uh, you have your tasks, your, your mandates, etc., And likely have a lot of people more senior than you who are able to, to develop you and coach you. So like to me, you know, there's this, everyone says Bombardier is a school, Bombardier is a school because you start and you really can learn and you can move up and, and, uh, and learn in that way. And that, that's what I did. And I think that uh, allowed me to, to develop a lot of skills uh, moving into the now smaller uh organization, what I see and which I knew, but, but to live it is different is you end up, um, because it's smaller, there's not as many experts, um, in different things. So for example, specific to HR at Bombardier, we had, because we were so big, we had a mobility, international mobility department. We had mm -hmm. a consultation department. We had a organizational development department because we were huge at, at At the at when Bombardier was the largest, there was I think 400 people in HR. Wow. Um, and so when you move to a smaller organization, there aren't those centers of expertise. So you sort of are now the person. And I, I found it myself. There's lots of things that I had to learn to do because I 
I had already always had someone to go to to guide me. And now there is, you know, now I am that person. So I think that's the maybe the the challenge of moving from bigger to smaller. But the challenge, I think, of moving from smaller to bigger is that you you are a bit more doing a bit more a jack of all trades when you're in a smaller organization, Mm -hmm. which means that you don't necessarily develop as big an expertise in certain areas. So it's really a pro and con thing. You know? Right, and and obviously that just perhaps has to do as well with the, the the profile and you know the what people are comfortable with, right? Because I'm assuming dealing in a working in a smaller environment makes you uh, you know involves a, a lot more uh, ambiguity and uncertainty and things moving around and you Ab- know not- absolutely like they you know. I think at Sidley, like we always say, you need to be agile, you need to be agile, you need to be agile. And I mean, it's not to say that you didn't need to be agile in other organizations. I I think that's sort of a a modern day competency that's required across the board. But specifically, I would say in smaller organizations, because there's so many more shifts um, and so many, you know, things move so quickly. There's such an evolution um, that that becomes like a major criteria. Whereas if you're someone who's a bit more, um, I guess, a little less flexible, and I don't say that in a negative way, it's just some, you know, because being less flexible comes with a lot of great skill sets as well. Uh, that could be more of a struggle for you in a smaller organization. Right. I- and now, and now it's, Jennifer, just, just so you know, there's probably a, a, you know, a bunch of people who wrote down agility <laughs> to put in their cover letter next time they, they send a resume. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a strength, you know, because, um, well, I can give this concrete example. Like when I, um, when I was at, uh, um, the other organizations I worked at, you know, at the beginning of the year, we set out performance objectives for the entire year. So, so I could tell someone who reported to me, this is your, your two big projects, you know, other than your day-to-day job, you're also going to have these two projects that you will likely work on for the bulk of the year. And that's one, two of the things you'll be measured on. And I think, you know, in a more agile environment um, that's maybe smaller and where the turnaround of things is so much faster, you can no longer give necessarily someone a, a, a year-long mandate. You know, you have to be more, there, so the agility fits in there. Like you, today you might be working on something and tomorrow it might change to something else because of a certain context or you know, you only have two weeks to work on something. So that that's where I see a lot of the agility uh, required. Um, and a lot of the sort of agility comes in in the gray zone aspect of you can't, like sometimes it's like, I don't have, you know, it's like, we're going to go with what we know now and we'll adjust as we go. So you have to be comfortable sitting in a bit of a gray zone. Right. And, he, he, and also the, the nature of work in the creative industries. I mean, that, that comes with the territory, ambiguity, sure. uncertainty. But the fact that it's also mainly project based, unlike, say, you know, more stable, uh, and I, I say this, you know, I mean, the aerospace industry is not a whole, it's not that stable. But, you know, the fact that I guess project based work means that, you know, you, you need to be uh, flexible in allocating the resources to different projects and then shifting them around as, you know, based on certain needs or some things need to go faster or some things near, need more people nearing completion. So even the employees themselves are, are finding, you know, themselves having to work on multiple things within a given year, for instance. Absolutely. And and that that's exactly it. It's the project base. That's been my biggest learning, actually. Um, right. 
uh, or the biggest adjustment for me. And and the project-based mindset touches on everything in HR and in the regular, you know, in everyday operations. Um, And, you know, that agility, like we were mentioning, comes into play a lot with regards to that too, because you're working on a project today and tomorrow that project might change or evolve or might get a new project. And, and I think in the larger organizations that are less project-based, but, you know, for example, manufacturing industry, it's, it's a lot more, you have a big mandate, but it stays what it is. Right. The operations in production remains mostly the same. Uh, One thing that remains consistent though, if I look at again, Bon Bounty, Nesting Espresso and Sidley is, is just the the brand and uh, equity and especially from an employer standpoint, so, you know, all three companies you worked at must be receiving a lot of applicants and, and a lot of applicants from just about anywhere in the world. How do you, you know, structure? And I know you're, you know, you're not necessarily in recruitment, but but I'm assuming that you know, it, it creates a challenge when it comes to, I guess, trying to evaluate uh, uh, candidates from across the world who are, you know, maybe not showing the you know, the same presenting themselves in the same way or showcasing the same thing. So is that, is that a challenge that you've, you've encountered before? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak, you know, I'm, I'm like you said, I'm not in the recruitment department, so I don't want to you know speak for them, but I, I generally think that's a challenge for everybody in recruitment or not, you know, just to, um, I mean, I, so I'll speak my personal opinion, you know, every company uh, gets very set on, you know, fit, like mm-hmm. someone who's going to fit into the organization. And I think it's on us to be very open to, you know, you know, you know, there's a certain advantage to being when you're local, you, you, you better understand the fit of that organization. And I think it's on everybody to be open to a larger fit because they do say that, you know, that, so I, I think it's an advantage to everyone, but I, I do think it's a struggle. It's a struggle that any organization uh, would face. Um, right. I mean, I think it requires a very, um, like you have to do this, uh, on purpose, right. You have to, to get out there and to, to be able to, to understand what, what the candidate is showing from, uh, I guess, their perspective and, and not, you know, the way you've been accustomed to, uh, exactly. over the years. Like it's sort of everyone's responsibility, you know? And, and I would say like, uh, for me, like uh, the, the thing that's helped me the most, not as an HR person, but just as a person in my own career, network counts for a lot. Right. Um, just knowing people and you never know who you, you work with today, who ends up working somewhere else in another location or who knows someone somewhere else looking. So who you end up knowing or connecting with counts for so much. Yeah, there's this, uh, I mean, if I can just suggest a, a reading here and, you know, for, for you, <laughs> very humbly, yeah. uh, or just for the students. There's this great book that I, I, I read recently. It's from uh, Hermenia, and it's the the book is called "Act Like a uh, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader." You, you I, may, yes, I know that book. Right, it's a great book. So there's there's a chapter that that uh, that that talks specifically about uh, networking, and she uh, she makes a great case about you know the need to develop you know, three types of network, you know, one operational, which is just, you know, the people that you need to know to do your job, right? So kind of a very simple uh, network. She also talks about the strategic, you know, the building a strategic network, uh, which is, you know, knowing, you know, maybe some other people within the organization that you may need at some point to push some things ahead, 
uh, or you know to to suggest new initiatives and to get this sort of buy-in from maybe maybe the, your boss's boss or something and then the, the the personal network which is you know the 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 people who can help you develop and grow and and maybe you know fit in and, and i'm not saying this in a, in a negative way but just you know just be more comfortable and just you know increasing your performance on in, in work so I think I think you know I'm I'm a big advocate for 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 network and and we we've been talking about it you know ever since pretty much day one uh, in this program because most of the, you know most of the, the the gigs or the jobs or you know come from people you know uh, most of them are not necessarily being even posted so you you know they come to you and in, in through through these networks which raises a, a, obviously a bunch of problems <laughs> in terms of diversity and inclusion but but yeah. nevertheless that's 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 kind of and that's kind of what I meant that's kind of what I meant when I said you know fit like it's easy to go with someone you know that you know and it it's it, it's the easy way right. it doesn't mean it's the right way so I think it's it's but on the other hand the more people you know the more places you can be connected to etc so I think that's why I say it's everyone's responsibility to not get stuck on only looking at who you know right. but also to know as many people so it sort of goes both ways to sort of ensure more diversity right I mean that's again that's a that's a big problem because these networks tend to be you know close circled or uh, circles or just people who pretty much look like you which yes, is uh, problematic so other challenges in terms of you know we're operating HR within a local local company I mean the one that comes to mind is obviously having to deal with different local uh, labor or employment uh, laws. So how do you, again, have, how would a company like Sidley just work within, you know, these different jurisdictions and, and ensure that they're ensure compliance everywhere? Yeah. I mean, even if you, if you, I think again, like my, my vision on these things is to have some guiding principles and then apply them locally as needed. So even very concretely and very relevant is sort of right now with COVID, you know, returning to work. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's like each um why well, i guess I don't province know, right province or or state or country you know right. has its own sort of govern uh you know government policies with regards to that so you know it's it's interesting like um and obviously covid is quickly you need to be agile to deal with covid's uh, yeah. evolution as well but you know for a while in the us they were set to return to the office in july on a voluntary basis and then obviously things sort of went more downhill in the US after that. And and so then, you know, we were running around when, oh my goodness, like, should we go back to, and, but we are in a large, uh, in our Montreal offices in a, in a large building with, you know, elevators and we're high up. So it was like, we had to adjust to that reality. And, you know, our Toronto office, what is, you know, only, only Sidley in their office. Right. Which is, which is, which is beautiful, by the way, it's a brand new building. Yeah. No, no, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but so is the Montreal office. Right. Uh, so it's sort of, you know, and then in the end, the U.S. office didn't open. And so now it's the Montreal office is opening for. So I think that, that's just sort of the example that came to my mind on a, on a very, very loosely as, you know, you, you need to look at legal and local and government requirements for sort of anything, because just because something goes well in one or it works in one place, it won't necessarily work in the other. But you can have a guiding principle above that, you know, guiding principle being, let's say, we will not return to work until we 
we can ensure a you know safe environment for our employees let's say and then from and you know when we return to work these are the things we would put into place and the, let's say those are some of the guiding principles and then beyond that each location would then determine you know exactly the when and the 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 how around that right so you're, you're, you're a director of talent management. We talked about, you know, it's funny enough, we, we, uh, one of the episodes is, is with Alan Gosling, which I'm sure you know. Yes, he was, uh, um, he was my teacher, actually. There you go. He was, he was my teacher too. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about this yesterday, you know, trying to looking after certain, I'm not just talking about high potential, but, you know, everywhere in the, everybody in the organization kind of crafting a plan for them, for their development, being in a global company, one of the things you can offer is, you know, some sort of international mobility uh, or, you know, maybe say you want to become a manager and perhaps you need to be exposed to, you know, some, some international projects or other locations that are within the, the company. So is this something you can offer at, say, Sidley or that you've seen offered in, in the other uh, global companies for, for which you work? Yeah. So, like, I would say, again, you know, if you take a place like um, Bombardier or Nespresso, where uh, there are literally offices all over the world, and again, much larger organizations, there was maybe like a very robust uh, international mobility programs. Um And, and, but even then there's this generally, and and I'm sure there's other companies that are are more evolved, but generally a sense of, you know, you, you start somewhere and, you know, there's a process to follow exactly. And uh, depending on who you are, what role you're in, et cetera, maybe you'll go work abroad and depending on what your interests are, et cetera. And, And if that were the case, there's, there's programs and processes set up. I'd say, uh, at, at Sidley, we're a bit more, um, agile <laughs> and so it's a bit more it's it's been in the past a bit more um ad hoc i'd say um and this is before i was at sidley but for example uh there was a time where you know maybe a new office would o- have opened in a new location and then people from you know around our other locations would go to work in that office really to set it up you know right. um, so that was one thing and then and then other than that, we, we don't, you know, it's, it's sort of, we will probably be working on something a lot more formal. Um, in the interim, I'd say what happens is it happen it does happen, but maybe a bit less formally. Um, and what does happen a lot is some of our projects are global, are, are projects that require, you know, the, where employees from around our offices will collaborate on a given project. So there are situations where you're really working on a project based out of Toronto or based out of our Paris office, but you're still located in, in uh, your, you know, your home base. And I, I think with COVID that's sort of been brought to light even more. And right. I think we're going to see this more and more in many organizations where it's like, maybe you don't necessarily live elsewhere, but you can collaborate. I mean, we're all remote right now anyway. So it, right. it facilitated that. So that would definitely bring you some exposure to international uh, yeah. uh, projects. And I want to, I'll get back to that question in a second. So I want to go, I'll go, I'll go back to the cross-location international projects, which absolutely gives you exposure if that's what you need at this point of your career development. But do you see, uh, you know, mobility opportunities as something that is, you you know, perhaps increasingly in demand or as, you know, as a retention strategy for certain creative talents or, 
you know, certain demographics. So is this something that you're seeing as being, you know, on the rise demand for, for these sorts of opportunities? I certainly see, I've certainly seen, I think there's an interest from, you know, an employee perspective, definitely. Um, uh, And then yes, also when there's, you know, when someone is known, then it's like, yeah, you know, creatively, there tends to be a mindset of, and, and this makes complete sense um, of, I want the best creative talent. Right. I don't know where they are. I just want them. So from that perspective, absolutely. You know, it's like, I, and, and, you know, maybe COVID again will help to change that more long-term to facilitate that mindset of, I don't care where you're located, but you have this specific great creative talent and I want to work with you. Right. I mean, I, I could just see our, our students being very much, um, you know, interested in these opportunities, you know, before, say before you have all sorts of other responsibilities in your, in your life and you can actually afford to move around. And I could see this as being, you know, very much appealing uh, for a lot of people. Now, obviously, Sidley is, I'm assuming, right, from, from an outsider perspective, you know, has this very strong, you know, employer brand, uh, I'm assuming as well, not a whole lot of voluntary turnover. So maybe in terms of retention strategies, you, you, you may not need to go into that as much I, as a priority. I, th- I, it's, I don't think it's true that we don't have lots, lots of, lots of assumptions here. <laughs> We do have uh, a lot of voluntary turnover, but I wouldn't, I don't think it's a Sid Lee problem. I actually think in the agency world, there's a lot of turnover and people tend to work to move around within the agencies. I I can't give you like a statistic on that. Um, It's really my perception from what I've seen since I've been. And what do you think creates that? Again, just. Um, I think think some of it is very project based. Like, oh, I. I have an opportunity in this age, you know, to work on this project, which is in this agency. So I'm right. going to be there. Um, crazy, crazy account. I got to take it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then part of it is just sort of natural, at least from an employee perspective, like this is good for my career development. So I'm going to hop over there and and take on this opportunity. And then, you know, and, and it's sort of not necessarily offensive. It's like they might come back. You know, there's a lot right. of movement within the agency world, I'd say. So a couple more, more kind of functional areas of, of HR I want to uh, just dive into. And you've mentioned cross-location projects, so, you know, co-development, whatever, how you choose to call it. Yeah. How, how, does you, how do you train people for, you know, say processes or ways of organizing work that might be different <laughs> from, you know, uh, from place to place or, or even just dealing with, other people who might have the same job title as you, but are doing completely other things or, you know, have a, a broader uh, scope or narrower scope based on where they're, they're located. Yeah. I mean, it is a challenge. And I'd say, I think some people based on just who they are and their interests are more, you know, f- enjoy the, the sort of global work more than others, right. you know, um, based on their their competencies, their personalities, their interests, some people sort of fare better, um, uh, and I think that's a good learning for for us too. It's like um, you can't always only focus on oh, what's the project and who'd be good at the project. You have to look at you know what else is entailed in working on this project, and I think that um, 
that that kind of is I can parallel that to what I said when you're looking for a job. Like it's not just you know uh, what's my job, what's the role, but you know what are the other aspects that play in. So it's uh, to to what that role is going to be. You know, beside, like we said, the industry or the size of the company, etc. Um, it's a similar thing. Like what what will it mean to work on a global project and um, you know have, uh, collaborating with people of, of diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, uh, understanding how things being, you know, that agility factor, being able to adapt to new ways of working. Um, so that's, that's from the employee perspective, you know, the person working, uh, on these projects. And there's the, also the, the part of, you know, what's the either project manager or the leader or whoever doing to help integrate that person. It works both ways, you know, so how does this uh, how does that reflect into maybe how you recruit people or or you know is is this is this something that's been kind of added formally explicitly to your your recruitment and selection processes or or is this something that's more informal? It's more it, right now. I'd say it's a bit more informal. It's something we're sort of as we try to sort of create more of a globally global mindset in things we do, that that's something that we kind of will more formally focus on. It's like, what are the things that make someone, uh, you know, when I say do better, I mean, enjoy what they're doing as well in from a global perspective versus a local perspective, you know, like, um, very concretely, like your hours are not necessarily going to be nine to five when you're working on a global mandate with people from around the world. Right. right. And so it's easy to say, oh, this person has the perfect skill set. But if they're not set to, 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 to sort of have that flexibility in their hours, it will cause a problem. I mean, that's a very concrete, basic thing, right? So I think those are things that you kind of have to consider in your recruitment or, you know, in at least from my experience, the best thing to do is to really have a realistic job preview. I mean, that was something we, we right. used to in my HR classes is like the best thing you can do is to be as transparent as possible with the person you're hiring and validate if this is sort of something that they're interested in. And from an employee perspective to think about, you know, what, what is it that you really want and that you're willing to do or not willing to do, you know, to make it better. Your experience now, better. Right. So, okay. So let me play devil's advocate for a second. W- would you say then that maybe, you know, being a global company in, 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 you know, increasingly working in these cross location projects with, you know, more flexibility expected with perhaps a, 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 a schedule, a work schedule that is a little bit changing or, or not as, uh, not as stable or classic as nine to five. Would, would you, I'm not going to say you, I would say I, I would be, I would worry a little bit about, you know, creating a workflow or processes that, that may not fit with everybody. Uh, and not just in terms of profile, but just in terms of, you know, work-life balance, for instance. And, and I mean, I completely agree. And this is sort of like the, the, all of this is like the big struggle of, you know, how do you attract the top best talent while still, you know, respecting sort of the core values of an organization and being true to employees, you know, keeping, you know, employees well-being at in mind. And I don't, I don't like, I don't think we have the answer yet. It's really sort of trying to figure it all out. Um, and sometimes it works better than other times. Again, sometimes someone is more suited for that. Someone is like, you know, I, I'm so excited about this band, you know, I, I don't mind to have sort of 
a variety in my hours. Others, right. It's sort of about, in my opinion, it's about, again, sort of seeing how it's about being as flexible as you can be to accommodate as many people without without losing control of the mindset that you want to have or the the success of a project. Right. And, and as you said, some, it might be better for some people. I'm not saying it's entirely bad. In fact, like, you know, I might be more interested in working with the, say the LA office from Sidley because it's three hours back. So maybe I start at noon instead of nine and I, I leave work a little bit later, right. Doing the same hours, but I, on a, on a time frame that is better for me. Absolutely. Uh, and right. it's also, from a from a company perspective, well, how you know how much do they have to like? Is do they need to be? You know, can, can are there meetings that they can that can be later on to accommodate right. someone being? You know, so it's really I think a give and a take. That the, the the best success is when there's give and take. Right, and I think I, I think just you know being mindful and trying to accommodate, but I, I, you know working with these kind of on, on an. 24 hour or this international perspective is almost it can be also a retention factor right the fact that it allows for some flexibility in in, in how you organize the work and how you you know organize your schedule absolutely one of the 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 you know just before we we wrap things up i want to talk about maybe a unique challenge that you 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 find yourself now because sidley was already a global company before it had offices in the States and in, in Europe and, and obviously in Canada in 2015, it was acquired by a Japanese conglomerate. So you're now in a way, a, you know, a, a global company embedded into another, a larger global company. Yeah. So, and I know this happened before your time, the acquisition happened before your time, but, but is this a new kind of layer of challenge that you experience or, um, what have you seen or heard in terms of how it perhaps affected the way uh, HR is, 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 is ran out of, uh, well, currently? Um, uh, it's a good question. <laughs> um, well, maybe so- the answer is there's no, there, I mean, there's no different because, you know, the, maybe the conglomerate, the Japanese com- company is pretty much hands off. Right. So right. they're, they're quite hands, you know, I, I would say that I would say there's been, um, a switch in HR unrelated to that in the last two years, there's just been a lot of, um, there's been a, I think, a, a different, like a focus, a nice focus put on cre- creating more of an HR, uh, sort of, I don't want to say department. There's always been an HR department, but to really having a focus on sort of some HR best practice in the organization. Right. I know no one really likes the word best practice, but anyway, I just used it. Uh, but to put <laughs> some HR best practice in the organization. So I'd say that's maybe there's been an evolution in HR from that perspective. But I don't know. I don't I can't say that that's related to to, you know, any part of of the being part of a larger organization. It, it this, are this... hands off right now. Right. So, so, and I'm not going to use best practice. Let's say that, you know, it's uh, making it even more structured, more professional. That's maybe a way to put it. Yeah. And actually I would say, you know what, even better to capture it is we have grown so much, you know, we are, I think we're about 900 people, if I'm not mistaken, globally. And I think it's just the realization like 900 people is is getting big. Like it's maybe not as big as you know, well, what Bombardier was in its 
prime years, um, but or Nestle or Nespresso, but it's getting big. And I think it's just how do you put things into place to help manage in a, in a large organization? And how do you do that without losing, you know, the, the sort of beauty of Sid Lee's sort of entrepreneurial, creative culture and mindset, which we don't want to lose on, which is so important and which is what sets Sid Lee, I think, apart in so many ways. So it's always, always about finding the balance and managing those two. And I'd say that's been the focus in the last couple of years. And I wonder if two things played into this as well. One being, again, are maybe the, 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 the needs of the employees changing or evolving or getting increasingly you know, specific or maybe sophisticated and perhaps that, that creates a, you know, a lot of challenge and a lot of, you know, demand for HR to, to accommodate different needs. So that's maybe one of the factors I'm seeing. And, and you can tell me if, if there's some of that that plays in, into how HR is being uh, structured today. And the other thing is, is there perhaps a compliance element to it, right? Just some of the practices that perhaps were at a time where the company was smaller, more informal, uh, a need to become a little bit more standardized, rigorous, um, so that there's, you know, so that the company doesn't run into legal uh, issues. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the bigger you get, the more sort of exact, exact, absolutely from a compliance perspective. Um, and, you know, at the very least, yeah, yes. Yes, I think from a compliance perspective, and the larger you get, the more that becomes at the forefront of, of some of your decisions. You know, you're more, um, well, there's more people, so there's more processes and there's more challenges that come up. And so it's about managing that and often from like a, a perspective. And my philosophy is you kind of need a rule to break a rule. So let's put some processes and policies into place. Right. So we can then see how to best accommodate any exceptions or realities that come up. Right. I mean, it's just from a legal perspective. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to get it wrong. Right. And, oh, and obviously yeah. this comes with at times, uh, you know, serious consequences and not for just sure. for the company, for the employee as well. Right. So that's. Absolutely. And I'd say, you know, HR often has the reputation of being so, you know, of being very risk adverse. And well, well, we talk in class about this myth around HR being the, the com compliance police, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's hard. With, I, to yeah. be fair, we we debunk, <laughs> but but nonetheless, that's a that's a that's a I think that's a proper uh, uh, picture that you that you paint. Yeah. No. No. It's. I mean, it's true, and I think it's it's sort of like you have your own moral code of, and and you know, you're seeing. You know, when you're in HR, you've seen all the times it's gone bad, right? Because you're sort of privy, you're privy to those situations. So, and, you know, like I come with me with years of experience in other companies where I'm like, oh, oh I've seen this happen and I, I don't want this to happen again. And I always look at it as like, you know, everyone wears a seatbelt, but 99.99% of the time, you, you know, you got to where you're going without any trouble, right? So you could ask the question, why are you wearing a seatbelt? But it's like you do, right? It's a, the risk aversion. Right. So I, I think HR has a propensity toward risk aversion. That's, or at least, no, I shouldn't say HR. I have a propensity <laughs> toward risk aversion. And I'm always trying to at least bring forth the, the concerns in something from a compliance perspective, from a legal perspective, from an ethical perspective, uh, so that we can take make the best decisions. Well, on that, uh, Jennifer, you know, I, it, I'll 
one last thought. We that's one of the things I, I discuss in class. You may not be going. You may not be um, a future, you know, HR specialist or or even remotely in charge of HR. But you could be that person in the room, especially when the company is small, that just raises some questions and sees the red flags when perhaps others that do not have a, a, a you know kind of background in HR or some knowledge of HR might not see right. So. At the very least, being familiar with, you know, the, the 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 again, just just notions of HR allows you to maybe prevent your company from running into troubles down the line. Absolutely, we each have a role to play. I think, and I I think there's this, you know, what just uh, I guess as a closing, like HR is this great, and I say this in a positive way. It's a great responsibility because. There's so much that goes on, I say behind the scenes. It's not that it's secretive, but when you're dealing with people, you know, a lot of it is confidential or a lot of it is, you know, not necessarily need to, doesn't need to be known. There's this maybe misconception of, oh, uh, they don't, they don't understand or what are they doing back there? But it's, it's, we actually have a lot of sort of visibility on a lot of things. And I think we have a nice responsibility to try to bring forth the best ways of working, etc. Thanks. On that note, Jennifer Henless from Sidley, thanks so much for your time again today. 